Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, this morning, um, this is a special morning, I'm going to share a bit of my journey this year, which has been a very unique journey and um, for Charlie and I. It's been a pretty uh, challenging year for us personally. So get your seatbelts strapped on. Before we get into that, though, I want to speak very quickly about um, Corona. Ooh. Okay, so you haven't heard me say much about coronavirus. And it's been intentional, but a couple of days ago, there was a new strain that they found in South Africa, and it's causing jitters around the world again. And I thought that a conversation might be dying around this, but I feel like it's going to be like that annoying fly that just keeps buzzing around. And so just pastorally, I just want to just share a couple of really quick things. I'm going to ask myself five questions, and I'm going to answer five questions for you. And these are five questions that our congregation has asked uh, me, and, and so I'm going to just do that very quickly. The reason for this isn't to stir up anything when it comes to fear, but instead to kind of give some pastoral guidance as the senior pastors of this church. I just feel like when it comes to sheep, you guys, when it comes to looking after you, I want to give you some wisdom in how to navigate a very weird two years. It's been a weird two years, hey. It's been the most unusual two years I've ever seen. Um, but I want to start by saying this. I want to honour um, our frontline workers, all our nurses, all our doctors, anybody who, and in our church we have nurses. I want to say thank you for doing what you can. Um, our police force, thank you for helping. I want to say thank you to our government officials. I think they've done their best in a very hard situation. I think it's biblical to do that. I think it's kingdom to do that. Even if we don't agree with everything, we should have hearts of honour. Yeah. I want to also honour our pastors and our board because they have worked tirelessly, tirelessly, please hear me on this, hours, weeks, months of conversations around the safety of our church, the policies in our church, and an ever-changing landscape of guidelines. Do you know that if we break a guideline, it's a $55,000 fine per incident. Well, why do we have COVID safety officers? Because we don't want to pay $55,000. We're blessed with a church that gives sacrificially every week. You give the heart of worship. As a pastor, I will not put that at risk. And so when it comes to this, it's important. So here's some questions. Ready? Number one, should I get vaccinated or not? Ready for my response? Yeah. If you're an adult, you have a brain. You have access to information. I have full trust that you can make your own decision. I also don't feel like it's appropriate as someone who has no medical training to give you advice. It's not appropriate. It's not needed. You can work it out. Yeah? I'm not going to say yes or no. You work out yes or no. I'm not your doctor. You chat to whoever you need to chat to. 
Yep. When this started, someone said to me, are you going to make a public statement uh, as the pastor about vaccinations? No, I am not. You just got it. That is my public statement. <laughs> is this the mark of the beast? No. Why are we so intentional about following government guidelines? Number one, for your safety. Number two, uh, because we get fined a lot of money if we are lazy. <laughs> yeah. Please be kind to shopkeepers, hospitality workers. Please be kind to pastors. We are the meat in the sandwich. We don't make the rules, but we live under them. Might be a good meat, might be a bad meat, but we are the meat. We're not the bad guy. <laughs> don't get angry with us. We're just trying to do what we've been asked to do and to protect things like our finances. What is God saying to the church? Good question, Benaiah. I'm going to answer you myself. This is what I think he's saying. Trust him. Trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. Trust him. Don't lean on your own knowledge. We have to trust God. Charlie and I have had this conversation many times in our house with all these questions, and we ultimately come back to this. Lord, we're going to trust you. When a new variant comes out, Lord, we're going to trust you. Heads up, you're going to hear about new variants probably all the time now. Yeah? Borders probably will shut. Overseas lockdowns have reoccurred, even with high vaccination rates. I think it might be part of our society for a while. Therefore, let's trust God. <laughs> and don't lean on you working it all out. You ready? Is, that, is this helpful? I hope it is. All right, one, more, uh, one, one or two more. What if the government makes decisions that I don't like? Great question. Great question. Jesus lived under the Roman rule. Yeah? And the Pharisees continually tried to trip him up when it came to government. The Jewish people cried out for the king of the Jews. They wanted a political figure. They wanted someone who would overflow, sorry, overthrow the Roman rule. It was prophesied they wanted that. Therefore, they would always look to Jesus for that. What did Jesus do? He said, I'm going to do what the Father's told me to do. I'm going to point people to the Father. <laughs> but what about tax and Caesar? Pay to Caesar's what is Caesar's. What about rules on the Sabbath? I'm going to do what the Father's told me to do. He was somebody who didn't try and come in and be the person everyone else thought he should have been. Yeah? Then Paul comes along, and Paul writes to the Roman church in the midst of intense persecution and government control. And this is what he says in Romans 13, verse 1. Now, remember the context here. The context is this. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be crucified upside down. Yeah? That's the context of this writing. If you go to church and get caught, you literally will get tortured and crucified or killed for the sake of following the government. We get upset about some fabric on our face. Please don't compare the two. 
and it's not, it's not honouring to the Chinese people right now who are literally locked up, or the North Korean Christians right now who are being tortured and enslaved because of their beliefs. Don't be so petty, yeah? Don't compare the two. It's not, it's not honouring to anybody who actually is paying a price. Oh, we can hear some shepherd come out of me right now. So Paul has the audacity to write this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He's writing to the Romans about the Romans. Let's be quiet in here. Think about this with me. He's writing about a government that was feeding Christians to lions for entertainment. Yeah? You have to wear a mask. Boo-hoo. If people are getting fed to lions in public, then we have an issue. But yet he still writes this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be for the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good for this is the will of God and that by doing good you shall put the silence uh, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free church live as people who are free under the government live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Listen to this. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. This is New Testament. This is an Old Testament. Yeah. What do I do if I'm under a government who are making decisions I don't like? Pray. Number one, pray. 1 Peter, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. It says, first of all, that I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all people in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Please have open ears to this. You can do two things, pray, or you can do what Paul and Michelle are doing and run for government. By doing so, they want to bring change. What if I don't agree with the decisions that are being made? Pray for them. Pray for them. Talk to your government official. That's their job. Book an appointment. Go and see them. Express your concerns. Let's follow a democracy. This isn't a, this is, you know, let's do it the way we need to do it, but understand the kingdom in this. Does that make sense? But what if what they're doing is unbiblical? Pray for them, number one. Number two, talk to them. Bring change. Okay, last thing. Any pastoral advice for the church? Yes. Number one, trust God. You need to trust God. There is too much fear. <laughs> number two, guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all these things, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Church, please listen to me. Above everything, guard your heart. Technology has a way where you can actually silence the inboxing. <laughs> you can stop the emails. You can even stop the text messages. 
If you don't know how to do that and want to do that, speak to someone who's more tech savvy than you. Maybe someone who looks like they're 15, no doubt they can help you. (laughs) But you need to guard your heart. Otherwise, this debate will keep on bringing you down. We need to focus on eternal matters. The last thought is this, pastorally. We have never lived in a time that I can remember in Australia where we have had the opportunity to be light and salt the way we can right now. Be peace in the storm. Be trust in the chaos. Be loving when people are stirring up fear. The church has a chance to rise up. Let's not miss our opportunity. And that concludes my thoughts on coronavirus or whatever the variant might be next. Please hear kingdom in this. Please, let's be a church who hears kingdom. Yeah, I I think so. I I appreciate that. I I, I pray that you'll understand the cost our pastors have paid this past year or two years. Last thing I'll say is this. I've had people yell at me for not wearing my mask enough at church and people do the opposite for wearing masks in church. I've got both sides I've got to try and work through. It is an unenviable job. So let's make sure we have hearts of honour and let's have hearts of grace and let's have hearts of love. Um, You know, the mental health crisis right now is ramping up. It's our opportunity as a church to bring peace. Don't get sucked into the noise. Okay. From that to something a bit lighter. Let's do it. We're going to need this one. So recently, um, I saw a girl crying outside of Stocklands. And when I asked her what was wrong, she told me she had just lost a whole $200. And out of the kindness of my heart, I gave her $40. Out of the $200, I just picked up at the entrance. (laughs) We must remember when God blesses you, you've got to pay it forward. Yeah? I don't know if that deserves an applause. Please, that was a joke. I did not really meet a girl at the front of Stocklands doing that. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. In May this year, and Holy Spirit help us this morning, I want to speak about kindness. I want to speak about the kindness of a father. If you're a man here, by the way, come along to tonight. Make a priority. Don't be a wuss. Come out and be a part of what God's doing. In May this year, Charlie and I got a phone call, and it was an after-hours phone call. It was from a private number. And it was a concerning phone call because of that reason. And it was from my GP who said, I'm sorry to call you after hours, and but the radiologist just called and there's major concern that you might have cancer. Now, I don't have cancer. I just want to say that, not to freak you out. 
There's a 50% chance, is what she said, that Benai, you have cancer. I remember Charlie and I were in the backyard and the strength in my legs disappeared. I don't know if you've ever had a phone call like that. <clears throat> my world spun, like literally, like I got, you know, a bit of vertigo and I had to sit down. And we had the phone call with the doctor. Charlie and I embraced and we cried and we prayed. And we said, God, what is going on? I'd had a few medical things happening leading up to that. So I had a few tests done. And I actually preached a message earlier in the year about the peace of God, if you remember that, which I got in the waiting room. I thought that was a storm, but that was just the sprinkles. But God was preparing me for the journey. From that, we went, stepped into a season which was the most volatile season Charlie and I have ever had. We had to go and do things like, well, I had to go and Charlotte would support me. Get an endoscopy, I don't know if you know what that is. That's where they knock you out and they put a camera down your throat and they get samples in your, in your body. And there was a Woodlong hospital. I woke up from that very disorientated. The, the nurse was a Kiwi lady and she said, she said, it was like an All Blacks game. We had to have six of our nurses hold you down as you woke up because you were just very unsettled. I, as a new dad, was terrified. I remember the Sunday after that phone call, I, th uh, I was going to get someone else to preach. They got a stomach bug, so they couldn't preach. And I remember thinking, what can I preach on? I don't want to bleed on the people. And you'll get this from me and Charlie. We're not going to bleed on you with our wounds. I'm only speaking about it now because I feel like that's, that's, we're moving on. I want, you know, it's like parents with kids. You don't fight in front of the kids. You talk to, you have those conversations behind closed doors and you protect your young kids. They're not ready to process some of that. And so I remember, I remember I went down this journey of appointments and waiting rooms and there was, I counted 30 different appointments that I had over six weeks of different specialists. That's a lot of waiting rooms. <laughs> That's a lot of waiting room music. It's a lot of sitting with other people who are in a similar position. I got the endoscopy done. Endoscopy done. I felt like for a week I couldn't swallow. It was not very good. And I remember as I was laying there in the recovery room, and this nurse was next to me, and she was putting my chart, doing my chart into the computer. And I said to her, because all I wanted to know was, did they find anything? All I could think about was my son. All I could think about was Bear. Will I be around for Bear? And she could tell I was, and I was just weeping. I, just, I was just a mess. And I said, did they find anything? And she said, oh, and she kind of just didn't say anything. She said, oh, I can't say anything. You'll find out. And I said, I've got a son. I said, did they find anything? And this lady 
was kind. <laughs> and she turned to me and she said, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> she said it quietly because you're not meant to say that. I said, yes, I do. She said, do you go to church? I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> she said, is it a Pentecostal church? I said, yes, it is. She said, put your trust in God. <laughs> and I sat there, laid there, pretty incapacitated, terrified, trying to find my peace in the storm. And Charlie wasn't allowed in, I was just me by myself with this stranger. And she said, there was a lady in my church who went through something like this, and she put her trust in God, and he looked after her. And I was like, oh, awesome. What is this? What's happening right now? It was like God sent an angel to bring some comfort. Now, <laughs> comfort, not com I don't know how much it helped ultimately, but in the moment there was a, just a taste of God saying, I've got you. It was a moment of kindness. As you can see, this 30... A 36-year-old guy freaking out. I went and got an appointment. I had to get about around a blood test, five or six rounds, which is pretty annoying. It's a lot of different appointments to get more blood tests. And I went and after another specialist appointment, went to the pathology. And this lady was there and she said to me, she looked at me, she said, you're going through the wars, aren't you? And that was enough for me. I broke down as, an, as a grown man and wept like a baby because I was trying to hold it together. I was trying to hold my world together in the midst of massive uncertainty. And she was amazing. She was a bit rough, to be honest. She opened up about all her family stuff, and, but she was doing it to make me feel better. And I remember for those five weeks, just wondering, God, where are you? Do I have cancer? If it wasn't cancer, it was something else, which isn't the best either. But I'll take that option over cancer. After the endoscopy, putting the throat, stuff down my throat, I started getting pain in my legs. And the pain in my legs became so severe that every day I'd be a grown man at home whimpering. I have a lot of respect for anybody here or listening who has chronic pain. At the end of today's message, if you need prayer for chronic pain, I'd love to pray with you. Chronic pain is not a bad day. It is something that you wouldn't, work, wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. I would walk around the house like this. Like I couldn't walk properly because both my legs had nerve pain. It was so extreme. I would come to church and I would sit in my office with heat packs covering my legs. And a few of my team knew what was happening and I wouldn't come in until I was preaching. I just had to sit there and just try and not shake and get up here and preach. You would never have known probably. <laughs> and I remember laying on the couch at home and I would take, they gave me pain relief medication and I remember laying there and my whole body would be shaking because of the pain as I laid vertical, or horizontal, sorry, 
horizontal. <laughs> I, my whole body, I don't know if anyone's had this, but it's a weird, there was, I had so much pain in my body, but I had faith. <laughs> and I remember I would, uh, the medication I was on would last six to eight hours. So I would take it, the pain would lessen, take the edge off, and when I would get to six hours, I would, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I need you. And I would push out as far as I could the timeline. I'd get to eight hours normally and be in tears and my wife saying, you have to take this. You have to take the medication. And I would do that every day, every eight hours. I'd push it out thinking, God, if you just healed me now, it's a little bit, if I could do nine hours, if I could do 10 hours without this pain relief, then that's going to be... God, I'm holding on to you. And I got to a place that I have some friends, I've got some guys over in, one guy in Switzerland, one guy in the UK, one guy in America, and they're from Bible college. And, I, and, we, and they, they called an emergency, we need to pray, do a prayer meeting with Benaiah. We're concerned for him. And so I woke up early for their time, I was already awake from the pain, and I sat there as a broken man, and by the way, I'm underplaying all this. As a broken man, as these men of God stood in the gap for me. And I said, I said to them, I said, I'm just asking God for just tomorrow if I'm just 2% better. Just in the next day, 2%. Just a little bit, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. It doesn't need to do a healing like this. I'll just, any improvement. <laughs> You know, from that day forward, after they prayed with me, my pain started to get 2% less. In the midst of all this, Charlie got a phone call. And she, oh, sweat rag time, sorry. Yes, I can use it for the first time. Yeah, here, oh, book's good, there you go. Charlie had hurt her back, she had hurt it. She fell off a ladder. <laughs> 18 months ago and hurt her back and she was in a lot of pain and she started losing feeling in her foot and so in the midst of all this uncertainty the doctor called her one day and said if you don't get emergency surgery you will lose um, all use of your left leg and now we don't have money for surgery because we don't have private health so it's either a 12-month wait in the hospital or it's a 30-plus grand surgery. So we said, God, so I'm there thinking, how can I finance that? What can we sell? What can we... And it was just right in the middle of my storm was her, her storm. And she's a new mum and she's 31 years old and that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> when we got off the... When we are on the phone with that, I just felt something rise up in my spirit. And it was an agitation. <laughs> and I said to Charlie on the phone, I said, I said, enough. I had this word enough in my spirit, enough. It was an authoritative enough. With the supernatural in here, enough. And I said, we need to call in the winds of change. And I was standing out there in the courtyard. And so we on the phone declared that from this day forward, we call in a new season. We call in the new winds. 
carrying not negative reports, but positive reports. In the name of Jesus, and we said, we say, no more. Because you know when you get these phone calls and these things all the time, and it's like you're in a season of bad news? Anyone had that before? It was like that for five weeks. Just every phone call was, could this get worse? Oh, my wife might be losing the use of half her, you know, well, one of her legs. And we just called in the winds of change. New winds carrying good reports. That might sound a bit unusual to some, but that's what I felt to pray. You know that from that day forward, we haven't received any more bad reports. Only reports of potential solutions. The following week, Charlie went back to her osteo. He was a specialist and was able, we paid for some MRIs, and he was able to see the issues. Gave us some exercises to do at home, and we went from without back surgery, you're going to get paralysis, to, uh, to she's now got her feeling back in her foot. It was the biggest breakthrough. Yeah. It was the sweetest sound. Yeah. Ultimately, we got the news back that I didn't have cancer, which was amazing. And what I had, though, presents as cancer. How weird is that? They call it the, they call it the condition the great mimicker because it mimics other diseases. One of those days when I was... Still hadn't heard the news because those four weeks of waiting for the news is a long four weeks. And anyone who's had that journey knows the wait is terrible. In the meantime, I'm still preaching, still trying to lead. Coronavirus is happening, trying to do all that stuff. And I just started getting really noticed. I was getting short with my wife and my son at home because I was frustrated. I was getting a bit snappy, a bit of a snappy turtle. And so I said to Charlotte, I need to go for a prayer drive. And I drove around Vincentia and Huskisson for an hour and a half, literally. Tried to go to the National Park. It was closed because of Corona. So I just had to do laps. Got back after an hour and a half and sat in the driveway. And as I had started that drive, I said, Lord, I'm not coming home until you give me the peace that transcends understanding. I came home, sat in the driveway, and nothing had happened. But as I sat there, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, Benaiah, you don't have cancer. You do have this other condition, but I'm going to heal you from it. And it was just a moment, a whisper of just the kindness of God in the midst of a volatile storm, the hardest storm that I have ever been in. This year has been the hardest year Charlie and I can remember for us personally. I remember there was a moment before we found out the, the news and I was at home and I was in a lot of pain and Charlie was at work, she's a high school teacher for a couple of days a week. And I had my son with me and he was 12 months old then or around that. And I was on the, on the couch in his room, weeping, <laughs> trying to hide it from him though. But he's a very perceptive little boy. And I looked over and he was looking at me with tears in his eyes. 
and it broke me. And I thought, I said, Dad, I've got to protect you. This isn't your burden to carry. And in the midst of all the pain, physically, emotionally, all that stuff, my son was starting to pick up on it. And I just realized that, Lord, I need you more than ever. <clears throat> Ultimately, the Lord is faithful. Ultimately, he stands when we can't stand. He cares when we feel like we're alone. He stands in the gap. <clears throat> this year has been a year that we want to leave behind, but it's been a year where we've had to trust God like never before. We've had to pursue God beyond our feelings, beyond our emotions, beyond our situations. We've had to trust in his word because in those situations, all you have is his word. When you're facing a storm that only he can calm, all you can do is lean on the word of God. And I encourage you today that if you're in a storm, the word of God is the one consistent you have in a very inconsistent situation. Everyone here is going to go through storms. If you're younger here, the storms in your future. Jesus said that. He said, but you need to build your house on the rock, not on the clay, not on the mud, on the rock. Why? Because when the storms come, you will still stand. Why is it important every day that we read our scripture, that we memorize scripture, that we trust the Lord? Because when the storm comes, you have a lot of noise. A lot of noise. <laughs> 30 appointments will create a lot of noise in you. But ultimately, what still stands is the word of God. And what you believe when it comes to the word of God. I remember in that season as well, right in the midst of when we got that first phone call, Bear was inside crying. And I remember it was bedtime for him, so he was whinging, crying, he was crying at that stage. I said to Charlie afterwards, I said, when I heard him cry, it was the sweetest sound to hear my son cry. When you're faced with storms in life that are intense, it levels everything. Things you thought were important are not important anymore. And things that you didn't pay attention to the way you should have become really important. I remember hearing him cry, I thought, that is an amazing sound to hear my son. I remember after that, all I wanted to do was sit on the couch with my wife and hold her hand. Forget TV, forget everything else. I just wanted to be present with the people that love me the most. I don't want you to feel sorry for me right now. I want you to hear from my story that your loved ones around you hold their hand, sit with them and be present, turn off the phone, turn off the TV. The annoyances that you think are annoyances are probably, I was so amazed. At 12 months old, the annoyances of crying were there. But all it took was a moment of seeing mortality 
or the potential of mortality to go, oh my goodness, it's a beautiful sound. Anyone here who's given birth would know that when you've gone through the pain and you hear the babies cry, you hear life, you don't hear annoyance. And so when it comes to our journey, all that mattered to me was loving my family and loving my God. All that I wanted to do was read my Bible, listen to worship, and lean on him in my brokenness and love my family. I did not care about anything else. The footy score didn't matter to me anymore. The petrol prices, who cares? The new Netflix series, it doesn't matter. I just want to make sure that every time, every second I get is a second of knowing the Lord, of trusting in him and loving my family. I encourage you in your heart and in your spirit to be somebody who leans into God more than anywhere else, more than anything else. Don't get familiar with his presence. Don't get familiar with the scripture. Don't get familiar with worship. It, 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 just, it doesn't matter. I remember the Sunday after the phone call, that first phone call, I remember thinking, um, what am I going to preach on? And all I could think of was preach on the name of Jesus. What do you, what do you preach when you feel blurry? The name of Jesus. <laughs> It was either the name of Jesus or the blood of Jesus. It was one of those. We're coming back to what matters. Yeah. I remember walking out to the courtyard and someone came up to me and started talking to me about their garden. And I couldn't take it in. I thought, I don't have the capacity right now because I don't care about your garden. <laughs> Literally, that was my thought process. I could care less about your garden right now. All that matters to me it's my God and my family. And serving the church, serving you guys. Why do I harp on about honouring our pastoral team? Because they pay a price our church will never understand. And they fight battles that our church will never see. Therefore, honour and be thankful. Sorry with the, with the AV guys, I've, my notes I'm not really following. Mark Twain says this. He says, Kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 117.2 For his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The message translation, Luke 6, verse 36 says, Our Father is kind, so you be kind. I know I'm missing, going through all the different slides. Sorry, Alan. It's all good. I just want to finish with a couple of testimonies. We, um, we found ourselves in a really hard position as a church recently. And every church found themselves in this position. About three months ago, we had an emergency um, regional pastors Zoom with our state president of the ACC. That's the denomination we're in. And Charlie and I oversee um, and help the pastors in the ACC from Helensburg all the way down to Eden. 
So that's part of what we do. And we don't get paid by them to do that. We just do it because we feel like our church has that on our, on our anointing and grace. It's to empower other churches. And we had this emergency kind of Zoom where it was all the regional leaders. And at that time, the government had not released any guidelines around who could be in church. And there was a lot of debate about um, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, who could gather, who couldn't, a lot of noise coming through. And that hour-long Zoom, which I didn't share out, I just listened and just, just, just listened and listened to what was being said. Basically, we were told it looks like um, the government might be making it so that people can only come to church if they're vaccinated. Now, they didn't do that, praise God. <laughs> Everyone can be here, vaxxed or not. That's great. And as a church, we decided to wait, by the way, until that was allowed. We didn't come back when just the vaccinated could be here. We waited so that everyone could be here together. That was an intentional decision because we want to be inclusive, yeah? Just set insight into our journey as a team. But I tell you, that month after that Zoom was one of the most stressful months as a pastor because it looked like at that time that forever it would only be the vaccinated allowed in church. How bad would that be? How disruptive would that be? Churches are looking like they're going to lose a percentage of their congregations and of their teams and their, and, their, and their flocks because they weren't allowed to be together. I remember we had long conversations, our pastoral team, Charlie and I would sit on the couch at home, we would hold hands and we would seek the Lord for you. We would seek the Lord for our church, we would seek the Lord for wisdom. How do we lead the church forward in a time that is very, very volatile? <laughs> Just so you know an insight, this is how we work. We had board, we, we spoke to our board. Our board had big discussions, big conversations. How do we lead forward with wisdom, with the heart of the Father, with the heart of God? All these things. And it was a really difficult time. Luckily, we're, we're, we're blessed because they made it so that everyone could be together once we hit 80%. And that made our job a lot easier, I'll tell you that. You think about our position, it was very, very difficult. And it really was taxing. It was really taxing. And, and we became, Charlie and I became a bit weary, I think. Not knowing any of this, we, we, we get this envelope sent to the church by a beautiful couple in our church. And I won't embarrass them, but... And in the, in, the, in the envelope was $500 to our pastors. It said, please go out to a nice meal on us. <laughs> please take a night and go out after all the year and just have a night on us. In the midst of noise, I would even say unkindness, different things happening. A couple felt the Lord wanted them to do that in the midst of a storm, not knowing the conversations, not knowing the pressure, not knowing the cost. So what do we do? 
We went out to an expensive restaurant. We ate crocodile with ants, green ants on top. It was weird. It tasted like chicken loaf. That's what John and I think anyway. <laughs> it was just like, we just went, let's choose that menu because it's the weirdest menu. We had raw emu, tartar emu or whatever it's called, which is just a fancy way of saying raw. <laughs> we had torched mullet, a fancy way of raw fish with a little bit of, a little bit of torched, a little bit of it was the rawest thing ever. <laughs> Someone had a Tesla in the car park. We spent half the night trying to figure out who the Tesla person was. <laughs> he wears a nice suit, it could be that guy, or is it that guy who doesn't really dress up but he looks really clean, or is it, that's the kind of clean, he has bald, he has a really clean scarf. It was just a night where it was just an unpressured night where we could debate the weird tastes of this tasting menu. Yes, I went home and had a second dinner. <laughs> but it was an experience nonetheless. That couple doesn't realise, but when we got that envelope, like, my wife was in tears. It was the kindness of God in a moment or after a season of a lot of stress. <clears throat> Recently, Charlie had a bit of a tough day and on the way home she had to get petrol and she went to the petrol station and the lady said to her, how's your day, hun? <laughs> but really heartfelt and it was enough for Charlie to tear up. Because when you're vulnerable and you're in a place where you feel discouraged, it doesn't take much and here's the point of today's message. And I'm gonna, I might t I'll, I'll actually go through this next week with us. But do you know that kindness is supernatural? Yeah. Yeah. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> In Romans 2.4, it says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Yeah. It's supernatural, it's salvation. It's, a, it's the basis of salvation, yeah. is that God's kindness leads us to repentance. When you're kind, and the word kind comes from the word krestos, it's a Greek word of the New Testament, which actually means goodness in action. When you're kind, you share an insight into the supernatural realm. <laughs> How cool is that? If someone's been kind to you, in the midst of a very hard season, you remember it. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. You forget most things. I do. I forget so many things. But I remember the time that person was kind to me when I felt like kindness was rare. Yeah. I just pray that Celebration Church would be a church of supernatural kindness. Of supernatural doing good things through our actions to each other and to others. Just like the lady who took my blood 
in the pathology said, it looks like you're going through the wars, mate. It wasn't that statement that touched my heart, it was the care behind it. It broke down the walls in me. She was an angel for that day. The petrol station lady for Charlie, the couple in church for our pastors. You can be an agent of the supernatural. You can be angels sent here on earth. I'm not saying you're an angel with wings, but you get the spirit of it. God can send you to bring healing balm, healing anointing, healing oil to a fractured society. Last, one of the last things I'll say, we've got to finish. We've, we've lived under over two years of fear. Going back to our bushfires and the fear attached to that, that was two years ago, yeah? That was two years. And then Corona, and then lockdowns, and then all the things attached to that. Toilet paper shortages. How can I clean myself if there's no toilet paper? All the way through to two days ago, there's a new variant which has 50 mutations and everyone's freaking out again. We serve a loving Father who holds us in his hand. We don't bow to fear. Instead, we lift our hands in worship. And we say, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all you do, and he will make your path straight. For your family, for your marriage, for your children, for your business, for our church. We say, Lord, we're not going to rely on every bit of information out there. We're going to put our trust in you because you are the only consistent in an inconsistent world. <laughs> Pretty cool, hey? I know it's simple, but it's supernatural. Never underestimate kindness. Kindness is not a weak thing. It is, it is a mighty river. How can you be more kind? His kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness leads our society to repentance. Be kind. Say thank you. Have gratitude. Buy someone a gift. Write them a letter. Send them a text. Give them a call. Turn up at their front door. I don't care. Just take the kindness of God with you wherever you go. Because one of my points today is kindness is healing. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. Just know, church, we love you. Our pastors love you. The Lord loves you. We're not a perfect church, but we try our hardest. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we stand to our feet and let's just let's just commit this message to the Lord. To, to the Lord. And also at the end, again, if you have pain, 
If you have chronic pain, chronic pain is pain that lasts longer than three, three months. That's how they medically... But if you have any pain, hey, we'll go for it. He is our healer. If you're here with your spouse, why don't you take their hand? If you're here by yourself, just take your own hand. It's all good. Because we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord just to bless you and anoint you afresh. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, that while we were still sinners, that you were kind to us, that you sent your son to die for us. If there's anyone here, Father, who, whose heart, Lord, doesn't belong to you, I pray in this moment that they will give you their heart and they will give you their life. They will surrender themselves to you, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would help us. And Father, I pray right now for a fresh outpouring of anointing when it comes to kindness. Lord, let us be people who are led by your spirit and in a season where kindness sometimes might feel a bit rare, we pray that we would be uh, conduits of kindness, vessels of your kindness. We thank you that heaven's atmosphere is that of kindness. Let us be people who carry that in our hearts, with our words, with our thoughts. Not quick to, to speak, but slow, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Lord, bless this church family. Bless everyone. Raise this church up as a revival center in our city and our nation. We don't lose sight of the revival river that's in this church. Revival rivers from the throne room of heaven. Father, have your way. Raise up your people. Help us, Holy Spirit. We love you. We rely on you. We need you more than ever. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.